we're in a series of the Gospel of Matthew, so it makes sense our scripture reading is going to be in Matthew this morning. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 3, 1 through 12. You can follow along. There's an insert in the bulletin or, or in your Bible, whatever you got. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food with locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But, the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. Repent is not a very affirming message. Repent doesn't just imply. It comes right out and says, you're not all right just the way you are. You need to change. Friends, what we most need, though, is not affirmation. We need transformation. What we most need is not affirmation, but we need transformation. The curtain of Matthew chapter 3 rises and center stages this weirdo, John the Baptist. And make no mistake, he's a weirdo. I mean, he lives in the desert, in the wilderness of Judea. His outfit is comprised of a, a garment made of camel's hair. He wears a leather belt, and his favorite breakfast cereal is honey bunches of bugs. And while we get no formal introduction to John, he just appears there. In Luke's Gospel, we hear a little bit more about him. We hear of, of John's miraculous birth to a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth in their old age. 
in Luke's Gospel, we also learn that John is actually a distant relative of Jesus because Mary and Elizabeth, his mother, are somehow related. But here in Matthew's Gospel, he just shows up on the scene, all wide-eyed and camel-haired, and preaching, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, friends, well, John never gives us the, or Matthew, that is, never gives us the backstory for this man, John. Matthew does make it clear to us that this man, John, has a vitally important role in the story. In verse 3, Matthew says that John the Baptist was actually spoken of long before by the prophet and then quotes for us Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. John is the one that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He is the voice of one who is calling from the wilderness. And not only that, but some people, some people dress to impress. Well, our friend John here has actually dressed to fulfill. He's dressed to fulfill because John's clothing actually indicates that he fulfills other prophecies. Now, while John's camel hair garment would have been somewhat common for nomads who were living in the desert, it also would have reminded the people as they saw him of the great prophet Elijah. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, when the servants describe the prophet's appearance to the king, they say, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And the king said, "Eh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. So that's how Elijah was known to dress, a garment of hair, a leather belt. And there's John. John looks the part of Elijah. But more than that, he sounds the part of Elijah. The Lord had spoken long ago through the prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then, just one chapter later, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he identifies, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. So John has come to fulfill this prophecy of Malachi. He has come as the one who will come before the Lord comes, announcing his coming. He's the herald who goes ahead. And in fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 that John was the Elijah who was going to come ahead. And then says right there, Matthew 11:11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, what's that mean? Friends, John is important because he's a bridge. This man, John the Baptist, is a bridge. You see, he is the final and the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And he prepares the way for the coming of Jesus, who will bring the new covenant and the kingdom of heaven. He's the bridge between the old and the new. John comes preparing the way for Jesus to come and for the kingdom of heaven to come. But he comes with this utterly unaffirming message, repent. And more than that, he's administering a recognized practice in an utterly unorthodox way. In a way that frankly would have been offensive to many who saw it. Because during John's day, 
water baptism was administered as a rite of initiation for those who were Gentiles from the nations who wanted to become Jews. They would go through purification and they would be baptized. However, here comes John in the wilderness, eating bugs, wearing camel hair, declaring repent. And not just those Gentile people repent, everyone repent. It's not just those Gentiles that need to be cleaned up and need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. All need to be purified. All need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. So get ready. So John's job was to tell a bunch of people who thought they were okay, that they really were not okay, and they also needed to repent. And as you might imagine, that didn't go over very well. Nobody likes to be told that they need to change, but especially the religious crowd who thinks they already have it all right. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two Jewish religious sects. They, they were the, they were the semi-professional religious people of the day. They were the good church people of our day. And John sees them coming to his baptism, and in verse 11, he gives them a cute little pet name. You brood of vipers. I'm sure that name went over real well. And then John tells them that not only do those unspiritual Gentiles, those common persons, not only do they need to repent and be baptized, you too need to repent and be baptized. The problem is the Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't didn't think they needed to. And so John goes on to say to them in verses 9 and 10, and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God's able to raise from these, raise these stones, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were resting secure in their pedigree. They said, we are Abraham's children. We're part of Abraham's family, and John comes along and warns them, listen, God is less concerned about your family, more concerned about your fruit. He's less concerned about your family. He's more concerned about the fruit of a transformed life. Because you know what? God could raise up children of Abraham from these stones over here. He's not so concerned about the family into which you were born as much as he is concerned with the fruit that you have borne. So repent. You might come from a good family, but you've got some bad fruit. And you, too, need to repent. Now, the problem is, uh, the religious people, they expect that if a great prophet is going to show up, he's going to show up with words of affirmation for them. But friends, the only words that John has for them, and for us, and for all, is not words of affirmation, but words of transformation. Repent. You are not okay just as you are, exactly as you are. John's message is the one that none of us wants to hear, but all of us need to hear. It's a message for the religious and the irreligious. Verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Friends, the, the word repent means to make a 180 degree turn. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Literally means change your mind. Think differently. See the world differently. Repent means you've been seeing this world the wrong way. Repent means you've been seeing yourself the wrong way. Repent means you've been evaluating others the wrong way. Repent means you've been evaluating yourself and your actions and your behaviors the wrong way. So repent. Change your mind. See the world differently. See the world the way that God sees this world. See the world, see yourself, the way that God sees you. Friends, this is a horribly unaffirming message for religious and irreligious alike. But friends, it's the only message. It is the only message that the gospel offers us. Now, maybe you're listening and you're holding out some hope. You're going, okay, well, yeah, that, that was John the Baptist. Come on, Adam, that was John the Baptist. He was a grumpy old fire and brimstone preacher who's angry because he's wearing scratchy camel hair and he's eating bugs for breakfast. And so he was just kind of grumpy. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, you know, when Jesus, meek and mild, Jesus, God is love, Jesus, when he gets here, the message will get a little bit softer and probably a little bit easier for us to swallow, won't it? Well, Jesus does appear on the scene in the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus kicks off his own ministry, and here's his inaugural speech. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's word for word, the message that John brought. And friends, if you're holding out hope that maybe over time, Jesus mellowed out a little bit, and maybe, maybe he changed his message as he went on when he sent out the disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 12. It says, so they went out and proclaimed that, G that people should repent. And then after Jesus' death and his resurrection for the dead, he gathered the disciples together to give them their marching orders. And in Luke 24, 20, 47, we read that he sent them out to preach that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Friends, this message, the one that we don't want to hear, repent, this is the heart of the gospel. It's not a message of affirmation. It's a message of transformation. Jesus didn't show up to tell us, hey, you're all okay just the way you are. The message of the kingdom of heaven is you are not okay. So repent. And John makes clear what's at stake in verses 11 and 12. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing forks in his hand. He'll clear the threshing floor, gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. Now, friends, in ancient times, a herald, a herald would go before a royal procession. They would go before the coming of a king and they would announce to the people, prepare yourself. The king is coming. Prepare yourself. The king is on his way. And John, as we've heard, is the prophesied herald. He's come in the spirit of Elijah. He's coming before the true king and he's going, prepare yourself. 
the king is coming. And John's message is not affirmation. He warns them all, you're not ready for the king's coming. You're not ready. You're not okay. So repent. And friends, for as hard as it is to hear that message, repent. It's actually really good news. Friends, this is really good news for you and for me. The message repent means that the king is coming, but friends, the king is coming with terms of peace. Because of his great mercy and compassion, no matter how great your treason, how heinous your crime, how horrible your rebellion, it can be forgiven. The king is coming with terms of peace. Friends, this is good news. He says, turn, repent from that rebellion and pledge your allegiance to the coming king. Enter his kingdom. Because the king has come desiring peace. And right now he imposes that peace forcefully on no one. Everyone is being given an opportunity to freely repent. To freely turn to him. To freely come as you are and change your mind to think differently. Friends, repentance begins with confession. Our English word confession actually comes from Latin, as so many of our words do. Con meaning with and fratiri to declare. So to declare with, to agree with, to confess is to agree with. And friends, when we confess, we speak along with God. We speak what God has spoken. We agree with God. To confess is to come into agreement With God, it's to change your mind and to see this world and yourself as God sees you and sees this world. To confess is to speak with God the truth about what he declares is right and wrong. It's to declare that him and his perception and his words are right and true and authoritative. It's to declare that he alone is the king and the Lord. Not culture, not popular opinion, not my feelings. He alone speaks truth about what is and about what should be. He alone speaks the truth about what is good and what is evil. He alone speaks the truth about how creation has been designed. He alone speaks the truth about me and my desires and my actions. To confess is to speak the truth with God. To repent is to see things differently. It is to say, I want to see things the way that God sees things. I want to understand myself and this world and respond appropriately because I see things differently. I've had a change of mind, a change of heart, a metanoia. I have repented. To confess is to stop hiding my actions because he already knows them. To confess is to stop denying his authority because he alone speaks the truth, friends. To confess is to give up my manipulating, my controlling, my demanding, my explaining, my justifying, and just agree with God. Friends, the call to repent is good news because it means the King has come to offer us terms of peace, terms of forgiveness. And while the true King comes, And doesn't give us the words of affirmation that we want. He comes and gives us hope of the transformation that we all need. The King has come to save us from, not affirm us in, our sins. 
He's come to save us from, not affirm us in our rebellion. As we sang today, all of us are welcome to come just as we are. But friends, none of us can remain just as we are. You're invited to come just as you are, but you are not welcome to remain just as you are. Friends, Jesus welcomes all, but affirms none. Jesus welcomes all, but he affirms none of us in any sin. Whether your sin is sexual or in your attitudes or your thoughts or your actions or your words or your pride, Jesus does not affirm us in our sin. He's come to save us from it. Jesus' message never was and never will be, you are great exactly how you are. His message is, I love you exactly how you are, and I love you enough not to leave you there. I love you enough not to leave you there. The King has come not for our affirmation, but for our transformation. So to confess is to speak the truth with God. It is to come to see the world and see myself as God does. It is to repent, to turn to Him, to submit to Him, to the King, and to be changed by Him. And friends, this is good news of rescue from our sin and all of its consequences. Because if we continue, if we continue in unrepentant sin, if we continue in our sins, friends, whether they're sins that we hide or sins in which we take pride, all sins are destined to judgment and destruction. I mean, you heard John announce at the end of the passage, those who refuse repentance and reject the peace of the king. There's nothing left but judgment and destruction. John warns, he says, all of you who refuse the baptism of repentance that I've come to offer, there's another baptism coming. It's of fire and judgment. You're going to be baptized. Either a baptism of repentance or a baptism of fire and judgment. Verse 12, John gives an illustration. He goes, those who repent, they're like wheat that he collects into his barn. But the chaff, the unrepentant, will be burned with unquenchable fire. This week I learned the Greek word for unquenchable fire is the Greek word asbestos. From which we get our word asbestos. And friends, asbestos is bad news, but the unquenchable fire of judgment is worse. But the gospel, the good news, is for religious and irreligious alike. Every man, woman, and child within hearing of my voice. The king has come and he's offering terms of peace to those who will confess. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven draws near. And you may be here, and you may have attended a long time, you may go, Adam, I've already confessed. And I've already repented. But church, repentance is not an event. It's a lifestyle. Repentance is not something you do. It's a posture you live. Friends, repentance is not a destination. Repentance is a direction. As one author said it, the point of the Christian life is not to sin less, but to repent more. The point of the Christian life is not to sin less, but to repent more. Friends, Christianity is not merely about sin management or behavioral change. The point is deeper and deeper repentance, deeper and deeper into Christ. This author goes on to explain, I hope to know more deeply of my sin and to more fully repent of it. 
The good news is that sin cannot be managed or that I can be a good person. The depths of my sin are so complete and desperate that I have nowhere to go. But there is one on my behalf and I can rest in him. Friends, the good news is not that our sin can be minimized or managed. The good news news is not that we can simply be affirmed as some kind of good people. The good news is that we have a good and gracious King to whom we might run. The good news is that we have the work of Jesus Christ in whom we might rest. The good news is that the Holy Spirit leads us to repentance and breaks sin's power in our life. So John declares the good news, repent. And the Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance, daily turning more readily and more fully to God and from our sin. Not denying, not minimizing, not rationalizing, not justifying, and certainly not identifying with or in our sin, but confessing and agreeing with God, yes, it is that bad and even worse. And at the same time confessing, yes, our God is that good to save me. And even better than I know. My sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. Friends, some might fear. Some might say, you're talking about confession. That is fearful. It's terrible. Confession and repentance. To come to God. How will God respond in my coming? Friends, hear the gospel. Hear the good news. Your repentance brings God joy. Your repentance brings God joy. Jesus tells three parables about repentance in Luke chapter 15. And the punchline of the first two parables is almost identical. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Friends, Jesus is telling these parables to the self-righteous who believe they need no repentance. Jesus is saying, you think you're bringing joy to me by hiding? By pretending? By denying that you have anything that you need to repent of? You think that pleases God? Heaven rejoices over repentance. And he repeats the truth just a few verses later in Luke 15, 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Friends, we need not fear confessing and repenting for whatever you have done, no matter how far you have wandered, the Father rejoices at your repentance. There is no sin so great that it cannot be covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no addiction so powerful, no habit so ingrained, no identity so deep, Note that the power of the Holy Spirit cannot transform you. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And friends, this passage couldn't be any more timely. Wednesday of last week was Ash Wednesday. It symbols the the beginning of the Lenten season. The 40 days leading up to Easter. Friends, these are 40 days of preparation. 40 days of preparing ourselves for the great celebration of Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday. And traditionally, it is a time of confession and of repentance. It is a time when we turn to 
and when we return to God. It is a time when we confess our sins and we celebrate that Christ was victorious over our sins at the cross and ultimately victorious in his resurrection from the dead. Friends, this couldn't be more timely. And it couldn't be more timely because I believe God is doing a new thing. I believe that God is doing a new thing in our day and that he is waking people up and calling them to repentance. Many of you have seen reports about the work of God that began at Asbury University earlier this, this month. For those that, that haven't heard, on Wednesday, February 8th, some students at Asbury University, which is a Christian university, lingered after their usual morning chapel service to pray a little bit longer, worship together, and bask in the presence of God's peace and love. More students joined in. Hundreds of hours later, they were still meeting. Thousands of pilgrims were on their way to Wilmore, Kentucky, to experience a remarkable ongoing season of spiritual renewal. The university has called it an outpouring. The seminary across the street referred to it as an awakening, and the Internet has picked it up and called it a revival. Friends, tens of thousands from around the country and even around the world have been making a pilgrimage to this place to experience this move of the Spirit. And reports are that the work began with students confessing and repenting of sin. And the fruit has been more confession and more repentance. Because, friends, confession and repentance is the foundation of God's work. And confession and repentance is the fruit of the Spirit's work. So hear that again. Confession and repentance are both the foundation and the fruit of the Spirit's move. Confession and repentance are both the root and the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work. And this is why repent was the very first word that rolled off of John the Baptist's lips. This is why repentance is the very heart of Jesus' message. This is why repent was the message that was given from Jesus to his followers to proclaim. Friends, we don't need affirmation in our sins. We need sanctification, transformation, rescue from our sins. And that is what Jesus has come to do. And friends, the really good news. The really good news is you don't need to take a pilgrimage to Asbury University or Wilmore, Kentucky to experience the move of the Holy Spirit calling you to repentance and confession. Because, friends, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is available to all. The Word of God is spoken, and the Father rejoices over every sinner who repents. And so, friends, this is a message for us today. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Apostle Paul warned young Timothy of our days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. He said, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. 
avoid such people? Friends, we need to confess we are such people. Lovers of self, self-indulgent while neglecting your spouse, your family, your God. Repent. Lovers of money, greedy, loving things more than we love God and our neighbor. Repent. Proud, arrogant, know-it-alls who can't hear correction, contemptful, prideful, disdainful, belittling others. Repent. Abusive, literally blasphemous, speaking unworthy and untrue things about God, accusing Him of evil, maligning His goodness. Repent. Disobedient to parents. Friends, no matter what your age, we reject any authority but our own. And we especially reject the authority of God. Repent. Ungrateful, unholy, repent. Heartless, without any love or thought for anyone other than ourselves. Repent. Unappeasable means unforgiving. Holding a grudge. Nurturing bitterness against God. Against others. Repent. Slanderous. Gossips who speak about but don't speak to people. We speak that which is both unnecessary and unkind. Repent. Without self-control, bound by pornography. Slaves to lust and to other sexual sins. Addicted to alcohol, to drugs. Addicted to our comfort. Spending money and our time wastefully. Repent. Not loving the good. Approving of, celebrating, embracing that which God says is evil. Repent. Treacherous and reckless. Repent. Swollen with conceit. Self-centered. Self-seeking. Self-absorbed. Repent. Lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. Friends, we are consumers of Christianity more concerned for our comfort than for His kingdom. Repent. And having the appearance of godliness, but denying, denying its power. Self-righteous, hypocritical, using God to make ourselves look good. Repent. Friends, repentance isn't an abstract idea. It's not a philosophical concept that you need to go home and ponder. It's a command to obey. Repent. And today there may be some of you here that are ready to do some business with God. You're ready to respond. I know that there are some today who are like those students at Asbury Seminary. There are some today who are like those individuals who came to John ready to repent. And you you sense the Holy Spirit calling you to repentance, to prayer, to confession, to freedom, to transformation. And today as we close, sing the closing song, and for as long as you want to stay afterwards, you're welcome to come and to pray. You're welcome to come and to repent. You're welcome to come and to weep. And there will be others. The elders and the deacons will come. They would love to pray with you and to limp with you to the throne of grace where you might find mercy in your time of need. As we sing this final song, if you want prayer, come forward. I've invited our leaders to be paying attention and to come forward and to pray with you. And elders and deacons, maybe you're hearing this and you now need prayer. So be ready to confess and to pray for one another. And worship team, as you come forward to lead you want to stop singing and start praying, do so. We'll keep singing.
Church, in light of this great and wonderful truth that we have heard from God's Word this morning, let us heed the words of the Apostle Peter from Acts chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Friends, repent. Our sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. Let's pray. Father, let us hear Your command. But more than that, let us hear Your invitation. You invite us to come, to be set free, to be transformed. Your Spirit and Your kindness and Your goodness lead us to repentance. And Father, do so now. That we might lay down before You those sins that bind, that weigh down. That we might find the freedom and the transformation that we need. Lord, lead us. Lead us to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.